You know, Scripture tells us that we're going to spend eternity praising the Lord. You know that? I've heard people say, well, Pastor, I don't like long worship services. Well, I guess you're not going to like heaven. You know? We're going to be with the 24 elders gathered around the throne and singing worthy, worthy, worthy as a lamb. Aren't you glad? And you see, we love, you can be seated for a minute. You know, we love to praise people. You know, we love to praise sports teams. And, you know, when our kids do well in school, we praise them. And when we do something well at work, we want someone to pat us on the back. But there is one who is worthy of all of our praise. And that's the Lord Jesus. You know, I think about the words of that song and how it really is a declaration what we do with our praise. A praise is like thanking God for what he's done for you. You know, I thank God you're not in the emergency room this morning. I thank the Lord you're not in a doctor's office getting some bad news. I thank the Lord that you're not in a car that's flipped upside down on the side of a road someplace. You know? Sometimes we forget to thank God because we we think if we don't have what the Joneses have next door to us or the Smiths have on the other side that we're not blessed. But you know, there's a lot more in life than things. And the presence of the Lord is is so beautiful and so powerful of of something that he gives to us. You know, this last uh, last week I've been reading through scripture and I just read through the New Testament again. And one of the passages that I read was in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And it's an interesting story because it, in the first part of 2 Corinthians 5, it, it talks about how our earthly tent. Let me just read you the first seven verses of 2 Corinthians 5. It says, Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is dismantled, that's talking about our physical body. Paul's talking about our body as a tent. How many of your tents are wearing out? You know, some of us have had patchwork and repair work, and some of us, the seams are, are not as good as they used to be. You know, we're sagging a little bit here and there. You know, the weather's worn on us a little bit. But he says, but we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. For if this, in this tent we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. So while we're in this tent... We groan under our burdens. Anyone relate to that? You know, you, gr- you get weary of life and life starts bearing down on you. He says this, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but clothed so that our mortality may be swallowed up by life. And God has prepared for us this very purpose and has given us the spirit as a pledge of what is to come. Do you know God has given you his Holy Spirit as a pledge? What is a pledge? What's a pledge? Anyone get a pledge this week? You know, a pledge is a promise of something that is to come. And a pledge is, this is a down payment on what I'm going to do for you. When you buy a home, you put up a surety. You put up a 10% or a 20%. You lay something down with your realtor and you say, I'm going to buy this house and here's a few thousand dollars that I'm going to put down that guarantees that I will buy the rest of it. Well, the Lord says he's given us this pledge. And listen to this. I love this. Therefore, we are always confident, 
although we know we are at home in this body, we're away from the Lord. And then he says something that's very, very, very profound. The Apostle Paul, talking to the church in Corinth, says, For we live by faith and not by sight. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about how our faith looks to the future. How our faith is looking to something that we don't yet see. What is faith? Faith is the assurance of what we hope for, the evidence of what is not yet seen. Wait, that doesn't make sense. How do you have evidence of something that's not seen? Close your eyes. Come on, close your eyes. What do you see? Some people say nothing. Some people say, I see a new body. I see a new relationship. I see something that was damaged, restored. You know, God, you know, it's interesting because in the physical and the spiritual, there's a correlation between the two. You can open your eyes. I don't want you to fall asleep. <laughs> Some of you are really getting that his closed eyes thing, you know. <clears throat> but, you know, there's a, there's a correlation between being physically and spiritually connected to the Lord. You know, there's a thing if... Uh, how many of you ever exercised or did yard work? You know, we're having sunny weather and you get out and you start exercising and all of a sudden you're aching in places you didn't know you had muscles, you know? Or you could be a person that exercises, you know, Carolyn, I see Carolyn every once in a while at the gym. Carolyn exercises, you know, but ex you do something in the yard and all of a sudden you're sore. Like, well, I exercise. Why am I sore there? Well, you see, because you're exercising different muscles. And part of what God, I believe, is doing for us is he's stretching us. You know, years ago, <clears throat> before Pastor Lynn and I were married, I was dating her. She didn't know it. Um, <laughs> but I was, I was a pastor at a university, and we had a, a gentleman in our church. His name was Cedric Bryant. Cedric is now the uh, CEO and president of the uh, American Council of Exercise and Physical Something, ACE, down in San Diego, California. And I was working out, and I've, I've never really, I, I've always been really hyperactive, so I needed to exercise to get off some of that extra energy, you know, and I still do that today. So one day I was talking to Cedric, and I was, I was uh, telling him I, I want to do a good leg workout. So never say that to someone with their PhD in exercise physiology. And so Cedric, we went to the gym, and it was in the middle of December in, in northeast Pennsylvania, north central Pennsylvania, and he put me through this exercise thing, and it lasted about 20 minutes. And the whole time I'm exercising him, I'm thinking, this is nothing. I could do this. 20 minutes? That's nothing. And we got done, and we walked out to my car, and I sat down in my car, and Cedric kind of positioned himself between the door and the frame of the car and just talked to me. And the whole time he's talking to me, he's just doing this. He's kept looking at his watch every few minutes, <laughs> you know? And we, we got done. He goes, okay, it's time to go. And he just kind of abruptly cut off the, 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 the conversation. And I shut my door, and I drove home. And I opened the door, and I could not move my legs. <laughs> you see, what happens when you exercise, there's a thing. You get, like, you know that soreness? That it's, it's the muscle soreness? There's actually a term for that. It's called DOMES, Delayed Onset Muscle Soreness. And it's, it's something that happens to you when you exercise, and then you're, you're, you're in pain. And the funny thing about that, we had a church that had, instead of these, you know, three steps, we had seven steps to get up onto it. And Sunday morning, I had to walk up the steps like this. That was Friday he exercised me, you know? 
And he was sitting in the church just laughing. And I thought about that this morning because, you know, it's interesting. A lot of times in the physical, when you're sore, you don't want to exercise anymore. Anyone, you know, you pull weeds. The other day I was pulling weeds in our, in our side of our house. And the next day I was all sore and stiff. And I thought, I'm not going to go to the gym today. And I thought, no, I better because that's going to help work it out. And a lot of times in, in our faith, we're tested. And I believe God's taking us through a season right now where he's really stretching us in our faith. You know, we talk about being muscle Christians around here. We talk about being strong in the Lord around here. And the only way you can get stronger is in a muscle. How do you get stronger in muscles? You, t- you tear a muscle, right? That's re- literally what happens when you exercise. You're stretching a muscle, and the fibers of that muscle tear a little bit, and then you have to heal it. And you take rest, and, and you take exercise, and then you rest it. And I was thinking about this whole parallel between this and you know, sometimes you, you may feel like uh, you're on a stretch rack, like in the Adams family or, you know, where you, you get out there and, and Lurch has you and he's kind of cranking the thing and life is just pulling you and, you know, oh, I don't know if I could take this anymore. I don't know if I could deal with this anymore. The pressures do great. And the Lord says, don't give up. Don't, be, don't go weary in well-doing. So how do you overcome physical soreness? Because there's a correlation between that and spiritual soreness. You see, the Apostle Paul, he wrote to the church in Corinth here and talked about we live by faith but not by sight. But when he wrote to young Timothy, who was a a protege of his, a young pastor he was training, he said these things to him. He said, for physical training is of some value. I mean, isn't that right? You can lower your cholesterol. You can lose some weight. You can, you know, your blood pressure can be reduced. you You can feel better when you exercise. So it is of some value. But we don't worship this because this tent, I don't know about your tent, my tent's wearing out. And some of us, our tents wear out faster because of wear and tear or life situations, but our bodies are wearing out. But he says this, he says, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. You see, as a believer, we don't believe this is the end of it. We don't live 50, 60, 40, 30 years, whatever we live, and then it's over. This is just like the, the, the appetizer before the main course, you know? God is just giving us something to say, I want to stretch your faith. So in the physical, here's some things you could do. If you're sore physically, you should do some light exercise. If you're sore spiritually, don't stop what you should be doing. Keep doing it. Keep pressing in. Keep, keep pushing on. Keep, keep moving forward in your faith. Don't stop. You know, I see people every once in a while, they'll go through some trouble in their faith, and they're like, well, God's not been faithful to me, and I'm just going to give up. Well, don't, don't be weary in well-doing. Keep, keep doing what you're doing. Keep, keep your face, you know, facing the, the, the battle. How do you get through the valley of the shadow of death? You walk through it. You don't stop in the middle of it. Second thing that you could do in physical exercise, you should hydrate yourself. They tell you you should actually drink water before you exercise so your body's hydrated because you're going to perspire and you're going to get rid of all of that. And then also that hydration helps recondition your muscles that are torn. You know, what does the Word say? Be washed by the Word. You need to be into the Word of God. When you're going through a a, a difficult time and you feel like God's stretching you, you need to be in His Word. You need to believe You know, you don't just read it and let it go in one ear and out the other, but you let it bounce around and get into you. Third thing you do, 
you should do some light stretching. Well, how does that relate to the spiritual? Well, you know, if you're going to be doing some things in the spirit realm, you've got to stretch yourself. Maybe the Lord's taking you through a difficult situation because he wants you to grow in that area. Maybe, you know, I always love when people say, well, pastor, don't pray. People tell me not to pray for patience, so will you pray for me? Oh, I'd love to. Lord, stretch them. Stretch them in areas they never thought imaginable. Lord, I pray that you would build their faith, build that muscle in them so they're strong and healthy in you. You know, a lot of times as believers, we don't want to press into what the Lord has. And a lot of times I see what God does is he opens up a canopy and says, come on in, stretch open your tent wide, let, let, let me come into an area in your life, and then I'll, I'll teach you some things. Another thing physically you could do, they say, is you should get enough protein. You know, a lot of times when people exercise, they don't eat a lot of protein. What is protein? Protein is, is not just the milk of the word, but it's the meat of the word. Protein is the deep things of Lord. And I believe that when he's stretching us and he's pulling us into a new arena of him, he wants you to not go shallow, but to go deep. How do plants survive that are in really arid soil? They go deep. Their root systems go deep. Have you ever driven around recently and see with all the rain, the, 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 the trees with the shallow root systems, what's happening? They're all falling over, right? Because the ground is so saturated, everything around him, is, there's no, nothing solid to hold on to. Well, I'll tell you what, the Lord wants you to be solid in him. And he wants you to go deep in him. And he wants you to grow really strong in him. And then physically, the last thing is, is they tell you, you know, if you're really sore because you've exercised too much, you should put a little heat on it. Well, you know what the fire of the Holy Spirit is? The fire of the Holy Spirit can come into you. And if you're, you're being pressed in a situation and circumstance in your life, I'm just believing that God wants to take you deeper in him. You know? How many of you feel like you're God stretching you? Those of you that don't raise your hand, you're about to be stretched. <laughs> you know, last Sunday was really cool because both Lynn and I shared some things that we felt the Lord was doing and physically healing you. And how many of you believe... God wants to heal your bodies, you know? Well, it was interesting because I guess it was Tuesday or Wednesday, Carolyn. When did you text? I can't remember what day it was, but Carolyn texted us, and I want her to come up and share something because part of what God wants to do here is, you know, one person's testimony is another person's prophecy. And what that means is as you hear someone else's testimony about what God's done in their life, that should encourage your faith. Because why? Because we live by faith and not by sight. Amen? Amen. Too many times we live by sight and not by faith, even as Christians. But God wants us to live by faith and not by sight. So Carolyn's going to share some things. Do you know what got healed? Do you know? Okay, I'm like... He just keeps saying it a million times, like, doesn't he? Well, praise God. Last Sunday, okay, you'll, you'll get it in a second. Last Sunday, I was actually in the children's um, service, but it is in the baby room where here and there, amidst the noise, you can hear the word. And so I kept hearing portions of it that were for me. 
and in regard to perseverance and I believe God was gonna move in some area even though you know when you're persevering you believe but then again you're like okay but okay this this is it this could be it this is it this could be it because you're really persevering and so uh, I just like started at one point somebody was praying and so I prayed and started listing the areas I was persevering and then finally it was just like Lord every area I don't know I don't care just whichever area well by Monday he broke in on two and the first was I got a call for daycare uh, you know, those that know like praying for daycare and by Wednesday I had a new daycare enrolled and the really exciting thing is I don't I just I'll go like Lord I only have eight spots and I really it's like who needs you to touch them it's it's a very particular you know in whatever way and so I have a new baby enrolled and then Monday evening I went to an eye appointment and a year and a half ago I was diagnosed with what's called macular degeneration which is an area in your eye and uh, I, I had noticed actually in church when I look kind of past these pillars like there's distortion I'm like what is that and having a problem seeing well when I went to the appointment and I forgot my phone because I was in that like stance of okay we're gonna go to this scary appointment and I forgot my phone and when we did the um, images of the eyes, the doctor goes, wow, wow, they, they look good, they, they look better. And we flipped back and forth on both images and you could see visible, um, a visible improvement, a, a regeneration. And, and I was still kind of, it was funny, like when it was happening, I was still very stoic and in that, like it took time for it to seep in what was happening. And so this week I was contemplating this and I was contemplating the times of perseverance because we want like the breakthrough, right? Who doesn't? We're actually, that's in us. The breakthrough, the all he has for us is in us and we want that. But I was contemplating the perseverance and I thought about how, I don't know, maybe like seven years ago I was reading the passage of scripture where David was going to be stoned by his people and it said that David encouraged himself in the Lord and I'm like what is that you know how you see something what is it and how do you do that kind of thing and then I realized wow <laughs> these last several years I have really through the, the all those areas of perseverance I have really learned how to encourage myself in the Lord and then um, uh, a passage that again that I had contemplated uh, I'm going to read it it's Psalm 42 and I actually thought that this psalm was penned by David but it's not it's penned by the sons of Korah and so they also learned how to encourage themselves it's the one my soul thirsts for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water and that's not David saying that it's somebody else that learned the secret of encouraging themselves in the Lord and later it says why are you discouraged my soul why are you so restless? Put your hope in God, because I will still praise him. He is my savior, my God. My soul is discouraged. That is why I remember you, Lord, in the Jordan, on the peaks of Hermon, on Mount Mitzur. 
One deep sea calls to another at the roar of your water spouts. All the water caps in your waves have swept over me. The Lord commands his mercy during the day, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the Lord, the God of my life. And I contemplated, and, and, and there is mark, remarkable regeneration in my eyes, and yet it's not fully there. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and so there's like, there was a burst of supernatural that happened. And I contemplated my perseverance. And the funny thing is, uh, and, and how I went through this, uh, as you know, you get a diagnosis and then you go and you Google it and stuff. And it's like, oh, there is no cure for this. Oh, I'm so encouraged. Oh, I'm discouraged. There is no cure for this. Oh my God, my God. There's no cure for this. So I was back up. I'm discouraged, oh Lord. And then I had to get to the place where, again, his mercy swirled around me. And, and I was okay because I had engagement with my God. I didn't stay in the place of my circumstances and the fear and the, the discouragement. But I met God again. And then I looked. Well, leafy greens can nourish the eye. And the funny thing is I have a really hard time eating greens and I'll go through spurts and then all of a sudden it's like three or four days I haven't eaten greens. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna eat greens. And it's been a real time of actually fellowshipping with God because it's like, who made the greens? You know, a, a leaf is only by God. You know what I'm saying? It's not a cookie that's man-made. And having fellowship with the life and just praying not just for my eyes, but fellowship, let the life of God enter in me, what he can only do enter in me. And so I would, I was even, I even eat salads for breakfast because there's something about me where if I don't eat it very soon, it's like a whole day without greens kind of thing. And so, but I would do it in faith and I would do it, let the life enter in me, let it, let it do something in my eyes. And so when the doctor looked at it and he's like wow <laughs> and uh, I'm going to find out if I can get a picture of it because it's like a constellation and but where like last year the the stars were so like so many now it's like not as many and um, I, it was really encouraging to me and so I want to encourage you in your place of perseverance that it's actually a place like I'm learning, a place where God wants to meet us. Because that scripture where it's, it's the waves coming on us and it's a water spout, it's a occurrence that happens in the land. Have you ever seen where the water funnel, where it goes from heaven to the sea? That's what that's talking about. And through this time, through my times of perseverance where like it's Lord, I'm just swirling in the water here, and I don't even know if I can get my breath. But he showed me that, that that tormenting trouble is actually a place where heaven can enter, and the place where his mercy can grab me, and the place where the kingdom of God comes to earth. And so I want to pray because uh, I, I talked to Pastor David because I said I feel like... Um, to pray for the body, and I actually have a word for the body. 
And so if you're going through a time of trouble, whether you want to stand or not stand, but in your heart, if you're going through a time of trouble, I want to encourage you, that's your meeting place. Your time of trouble is not the time where God is far from you. Because as the scripture says, wave after wave comes, but the water spout can occur. The water spout is God wanting to come into your situation and to redeem it. And so, Lord, I thank you. I thank you, and I speak over this body, the word that you gave me, that there's new vision, new vision in the time of trouble. The time of trouble is the time to apprehend your God. The time of trouble is the time to say the simple Jesus, Jesus, and lift the hand. Father God, for those that are just swirling in trouble and swirling in trouble, Father God, I thank you that it's not even up to them because your word says your mercy can apprehend them. I thank you for your devotion to your people, that your mercy reaches out to save those. Lord, I thank you for healing those who are traumatized by life, the, the, the life words the wave pouring in on them, and they say, I'm drowning. Father, you hear the cry of your people. If you feel like you are drowning, don't be afraid to raise your hand. Lord, you hear our cry. cry. We are drowning, and we cry out for Jesus because he is the only one that can save us. I thank you for a transformed mind that our place of trouble is the place of a meeting place with God and that we could see the water spout of God and that we could be lifted to the Holy One. Thank you, Father God, that you are a rock. Father, where where being on the waves and being tossed and turned is exhausting, you are the rock that we could just fall on exhausted and rest. Father, I thank you that it's done in Christ, Father God. And I speak over this body. The Lord says, I am making maverick surfers maverick surfers and i looked at that up this morning and that that that's the place in california where the normal wave is 25 feet but it crests to 60 and i speak maverick surfers maverick surfers thank you father god that you take us from the boogie board and teach us in boogie boards and teach us how to know that we will survive when we suck water. I speak you will survive when you suck water because you are in the training for maverick surfers. I speak that it's a multiplication from this house to India, maverick surfers, to Russia, maverick surfers, to Japan, maverick surfers. Every place that this house touches is has an appointment for maverick surfers. Thank you for our pastors. Maverick surfer, maverick surfer, maverick surfer over our pastors, Father God. Thank you for what you're doing. We praise your name because though the waves come, your mercy is greater. Father, thank you that your unfailing love carries us. Father, thank you for the picture. The Lord wants you to have this picture you are no longer drowning, you are surfing. Look at surf pictures this week, because that's you. And you're gonna learn how to take the air, and you're gonna learn how to, and as
as a congregation, we're going to say, praise God, praise God. Thank you, Father, for what only you can do in our troubled times. Thank you from strength to strength. Thank you, Father God, you take us out of a swimming pool into the hazardous ocean, and we can live. We praise you. Praise your holy name. Father, we thank you for what you're doing here, Lord. I thank you not just what you're doing in Carolyn, but in all of us, God, and how you're drawing us deeper to you, Lord, in a deeper relationship. And Lord, I pray that you would just encourage us by your presence in our life. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Amen. Well, isn't it wonderful when the Holy Spirit gives us a word that some parts of this country would not quite get about surfing? See, being on the West Coast, we know what uh, the Holy Spirit's talking about. And so that's super awesome. We're all going to be surfers, and, uh, and surfers are cool, too, cool, you know. They always look happy, very peaceful people. Have you ever talked to a surfer? Yeah, yeah, dude. You know, it's awesome because life seems <laughs> problem-free uh, to them. So, but the Lord has given us uh, authority over those waves. Amen? And that's the essence of that word. Um, we're going to talk about devotion today, and before I do, when I was in prayer, I, I was, when I was in prayer this morning and also this week, but I kind of dismissed it, to be honest with you, because I thought, I'm not going to have enough time, um, but then when I was in prayer, it doesn't matter, because I'll just stop where I need to stop, or, you know, but I really feel like the Lord has a word outside of this sermon for some of us, parents, grandparents, family, and I really feel strongly about this. And I was reading in Nehemiah, part of my devotional time, just personal devotional time this week. And the Lord really impressed upon me to let families, grandparents, parents know something. And according to Nehemiah, if you know the, the context of Nehemiah, they've been sent back to rebuild the temple, the walls of Jerusalem as well as the temple. And Nehemiah is not a priest. He's actually a government official. That's, that's a Jew that's been uh, sent back. And they come against great opposition by the culture around them to rebuild the walls. And Nehemiah... Um, as a result of the opposition, as a result of the enemy coming against them constantly to build, he tells the builders that in one hand you will have a sword, and in the other hand you will build. When I came to that scripture, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, stop, I'm going to tell you something. Those of you that are building families, you need to have the sword of the Spirit in your hand. I want that to really, what does that mean, though? Hallelujah, amen, praise God. What does that mean? What does that look like on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? What does that look like? And the thing is, is that we cannot drop the sword of the Spirit. We cannot set it aside and pick something else up. It is very important in this, realize the enemy is committed to destroy your family. He is committed 
to destroy your marriage, to destroy your family, to destroy your children. He is committed to do it. Therefore, you need to be just like Nehemiah said. You're going to carry a sword. When you're building your family, you carry a sword. And what he means by this is carry the sword of the Spirit. And don't let go of the sword. That's the word for you. Let the Lord just tell you. I gave you the word, but the, the, what's, your, what's your role? You need to find out how that should apply to your family, to your life. Everybody has a different life, situation, ages. You're maybe your grandparent, maybe you're an auntie, maybe you never had children, but you, you know, are adopted grandma or adopted auntie. But I want you to know that the enemy is really trying to kill, steal, and destroy, okay? And you have the authority with the sword of the Spirit. But when you drop it, you lose your authority, okay? Move on, move on, please, move on. Okay, no, I know, I know you're not thinking that. I know you're not thinking that. We're going to talk about devotion. You know, the Lord is devoted to you. He's so devoted to you that he gave his life. He's devoted to you in a way that he not only gave his life, but through his life and his sacrifice, we received access to all that the Father had and has for us. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7 says this, that Jesus' devotion, his fulfillment of his work, of this work, gave us everything. Ephesians 2, 4 says this, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I want to start... Just in one, just a, a second or two, reminding us that the, the devotion, the concept of devotion came from Christ. He exemplified it. He's still devoted to, to us. I asked the worship team to sing that song, Your Love is Devoted. It always makes me cry because his love is so devoted to us. Pastor Dave and I, our anniversary was yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, you should clap for that. <laughs> and I, we were reflecting over 29 plus years. Thank God that he was devoted to us. You know, we've, we've lost it all. We've gained it back. <laughs> we've lost it all again. Gained it all back. Went through hell and high water. And when I sing that song, Your Love is Devoted... I say to myself, thank you, Lord, that you have been with us through it all. You have given us the undeserved favor in our lives. And you have given us power to live out life. Power to have a, a, a marriage, a great marriage. It's his power that has helped us. I am so glad that all the days of my marriage, there has not just been two of us in it. There's been three. Christ has been in the midst of it. I'm going to tell you that Christ has to be in the midst of your marriage. If you want to have 
a blessed, abundant marriage. Christ is committed to us. He is devoted to us. But today is not about his devotion. Because every one of us can agree that Christ is devoted. And he has given us the, the riches of heaven. It's about our devotion to him. That's what we're going to talk about today. Our devotion to him. We're talking about things that are hard to do, doing hard things. That's the theme of this sermon series, these messages. And so the question is, are we devoted? And what does de devotion actually look like? Is our devotion based on emotion? Is our devotion based on emotion? We have to ask that ourselves that question. Matthew 13, Jesus tells a parable about the seed, his seed, the message, the gospel seed going into soil. And I'm going to read to you parts of this um, parable. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. They had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Verses 18 through 23. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. This is Jesus explaining his parable. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is a seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. This is going to be the foundation for this message, this parable. We're going to refer to it. The first seed, the first ground, the soil, because the seed is the same, but the soil is what's different. Some hear without understanding. What does that mean? Wrong language? Didn't understand it? No, it means actually the concept of understanding says that they don't apply it. There's no integration with the word that they hear. James 1.22 says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. Go up to the next slide. I believe it has to do with um, how we educate children. How do people actually retain information? In other words, how does information come into them and they actually change as a result of that information? If we go into education, you look at how children integrate information. The best and most effective way comes in by they not only hear or see, but they end up doing and then are able to model it to others. 
So in other words, Jesus is teaching us the very same concept. For you to actually understand, you have to do. You have to integrate. Luke eleven twenty eight says this. He replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Jesus many times, and so does the, the other epistles, the writers of the letters after the Gospels and the New Testament, talk about not just hearing the word as you hear all the time, but doing it, doing the word, doing what it says. And according to this parable, your seed, the seed coming into the soil, will be stolen away from the enemy if you don't do what is said. So do we do what it says? Do we do? Do we do? That actually sounds like a pretty good song. Do we do? So, are you devoted? Devotion and delayed obedience. I'm going to talk about delayed obedience. My father, we've, we, my, we've taught our grandchildren this thing. This, this phrase, delayed obedience is disobedience. My father and mother, they spanked us. I was in the spanking generation. It's fine. I wasn't abused. They just spanked me. But they believed that the but, I'm going to use the word but, yes, the one with two T's at the end, was God's design for a good little spanking. And one of the ways that I got spanked, I'm not telling you you should spank your kids. I'm not saying I'm, you should discipline them. You do, you do what you need to do according to your conviction. But what I'm saying is, is that when I delayed obedience, he said, that's disobedience. But I learned the truth of that from my father. And I learned to not procrastinate. Procrastination was never acceptable in our home in, as I grew up. And I found that in scripture, delayed obedience is disobedience. Because procrastination, you know, that's not a very fun word, is it? Because some of us do procrastinate. Procrastination is a way of running from whatever you need to be doing. Listen, I'm, I'm just, I'm, we're just going to go hit it hard. Procrastination, if you are procrastinating, obeying God, you are running away from something you need to be doing. And you cannot say you are devoted to the Lord and procrastinate obedience. Jesus said, John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. If you love me, you will obey me. So we need to really go deep in evaluating ourselves if we are delaying what God has asked us to do. Matthew 7, 24, Jesus tells another parable. And this is about building the house. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, hears these words and does what? Okay, good. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Why? Because he had put it into practice. 
But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. What is the difference between these two people? The rock means that you built, you built upon the rock means you did what he said. The sand means I heard the words but failed to do what he says. If we're going to build, it comes back to building your house. You can't just be all talk. You have to be walk. You have to do what he says. And our devotion to the Lord goes beyond external things. It goes way down deep inside is my number one value, my number one priority for my life and for the life of my family is to do what he says. It's not just talk. It has to be walk. I put into practice. See, the problem with procrastination is this. It creates the open door for the enemy. It creates the, your delayed response to obedience, creates a vacuum so that the enemy can come in and convince you not to obey. Man, another quiet service. Are we going to make it through the series? I don't know. See, the enemy wants you to procrastinate so that he has time to get in there and deceive you. And he does a good job of that. And so I am challenging you, if you have something that God has told you to do, today is the day to no longer delay. Okay, we're going to go on. Yay. Seed. The second seed is, uh, the second ground soil is this. Verse 20, some hear with joy, but the commitment is shallow. They receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. See, they receive it with the emotion of joy, but there's no rootedness. So how do we get rooted? Why did I first say, do we have devotion and emotions because a lot of times people associate their devotion to God with how they feel about God. And many times people may even come to, into God's kingdom or receive the message of the gospel. And there's great emotional response to it. But then that begins to fade. And along with that, that fades, the emotions fade. So does their devotion. It's important that we get rooted in Christ. And the way that we do that is by obeying his word. How do you know what to obey? It's by giving God time, devotion and time. You cannot say you're devoted to something, truly devoted to something, if you don't give your time. Don't tell me you're devoted to something if you're not given time. If you're devoted to exercise, you're going to give time. If you're devoted to a sport, you're going to give time. All those who like basketball, March Madness. I know about March Madness, by the way, because I got married on the weekend of March Madness. And March Madness was way back that many years ago. And all the groomsmen were constantly checking the televisions. They didn't have cell phones at that time to check. They were always running into the room, had a television set up of what was going on during my wedding and reception. 
So come on, people. I know devotion when it comes to sports. I'm going to get real. He did not do it. He's not a basketball fan. But my brothers, he did not do it. He was devoted to me. He was. I'm going to be honest. But all the other ones, they were running into the other room. They were devoted to March Madness. I know what devotion looks like. If you're devoted to a hobby, if you're devoted to a relationship, you will give them time. So if you're devoted to the Lord, you're going to give them time. That's how you become rooted, is by giving God time, investing in your relationship with the Lord. You cannot say you're devoted. Remember, this is all about you and our devotion to him. You cannot say you're devoted unless you give him time. But not just time. You have to give energy. Because some people give time, but they don't give energy. I see that quite often with children. You know, have you ever seen a parent giving time but no energy? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like at a park or something. They're on their cell phone or something. And they're, they're giving time technically, but there's no energy. So you're like, I know I miss safety. You know, I was a principal for a couple of years. So when I'm at a park, I'm running around making sure all the kids are safe, you know. Um, and you see a parent over there totally checked out because they're not giving energy. See, we can give time even in on a Sunday or a Wednesday night or our life group we can give time so that we don't feel bad it's our religious time but we're not giving energy to it because we can be divorced from what we're where we're at physically I can be somewhere physically and in my mind be somewhere else see when we're devoted my mind my thoughts my spirit is congruent with where I'm at physically. See, we can be technically faithful, but not devoted. You know what technically faithful is? I heard, I've heard this a lot in counseling. Well, technically, I was faithful. <laughs> when they have to use the word technically, you know there's a problem. <laughs> See, because I, I was physically faithful... But in my mind, I'm unfaithful. See, but devotion, see, that's why I, I want to talk to you about devotion, because devotion is from the inside out. It means that inside of me, I am faithful. I am intentional. I discard the distractions that keep me from the devotion. So if something's coming against me or trying to steal away the devotion that I have for him, I discard that. Something that's trying to replace him being number one. I discard that because that's what it means for me to be de devoted. In our culture, more now than ever, we have some challenges. We have more opportunity to have the disparity between where we're at physically and where our thoughts are. We have more things to use, more virtual reality kinds of things, more opportunities to indulge in fantasy. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to hit it hard because I see this destroying people. I see that this destroying people, this disengagement from the reality how much can I disengage from my reality? How much fantasy thought can I have because I don't really enjoy my life? 
And the truth is this, when we indulge in that in our minds, that's why it's so important that our minds are renewed, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Because in this world and in this culture that we live in, and even globally, we have at our fingertips access to cultivate a mindset that is not devoted. Not devoted to your spouse, not devoted to the Lord, not devoted. And the Lord said that I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. He didn't mean virtual reality. He meant in your reality, the reality that I gave you to walk and live and have your being, I want you to have abundant life. But when we are investing our energy in cultivation of fantasy... We are, de- we are not living the life that he has given to us. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have dreams, dreams for your life. Because dreams are or should be connected to your reality. Dreams should be, come from the fruit of you nurturing your God-given resources. See, God has given you resources in your life, in your, your marriage, your children, your intellect, your abilities. He has given you things at your fingertips for you to nurture and grow and fulfill the dreams that he has given to you for those things. I'm not saying you shouldn't have dreams. But what I am saying is beware that you are not disconnecting from your reality for a fantasy because you don't like your life. Because that's the enemy's way of killing, stealing, and destroying. And I want you to know, parents in this room, grandparents, that, and this isn't a Christian, this isn't even a Christian statement that I'm making. But there is a direct link of depression in teens and those that are spend lots of time in fantasy, virtual reality, and on social media. Direct link. Direct link. So we need to, because they get so unhappy with the real life, thinking that the fantasy is what should be real for them. And there is such an epidemic of this that we need to Get the sword out and not allow it because it's the way that the enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy. As John 10.10 says, that the thief comes only to kill, steal, and kill, and destroy. But Jesus said that I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. He goes against what the enemy has come. The enemy wants to steal life by people disconnecting from their life. He wants to them to he wants to destroy life by people disconnecting from life. How can I disconnect from my life because it's so miserable or so disappointing? That's what the enemy wants for people. But Jesus says, I want to take your life and I want to cause it to become abundant. I have promised that. I have given you power for that. But what does it require? It requires that you're devoted. It requires that you're devoted to me. Now, I'm going to go deeper now. 
I, people can't wait to get out of here. Uh, let's see. But I'm going to use all my time. Devotion and addiction. Devotion and addiction. Why did I feel like that needed to be talked about? Well, I didn't. The Holy Spirit did, though. So, <laughs> You see, addictions are the enemy's version of devotion. Listen. Addictions are the enemy's version of devotion. See, addictions are what people become devoted to. And nothing should rule over you. Nothing. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what doctors say. I don't care what psychologists say. I don't care what psychiatrists say. I don't care what social workers say. I care what the Word of God says. And what the Word of God says, nothing should rule over you except the Lordship of Christ. And Christ has given you power over all things. Over all things. I, I listen to the news a lot. I listen, I'm a reader. I read. And I am sick and tired of, the, of the, uh, the lie that addictions have to rule your life. 1 John 4, 4 says this. You, dear children, are from God and, and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he. But he is the one that you have to be devoted to. See, you have to be devoted to the he. You can't be devoted to something else. See, the spirit of addiction says, I own you forever. The spirit of addiction says, Nothing is greater than I am. The spirit of addiction says, you will never be free. That's what the spirit of addiction says. But what the word of God says, 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says this. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 2, 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. He does it how many times? What percentage of time? Always. See, you have his power in you to overcome these things. These things that have tried to fill you. These things that have tried to fill the vacuum that has, has, was in your life. And there could be a variety of reasons why that vacuum is in your life. But Jesus said, I have come to fill that vacuum in your life. You don't need that stuff to fill the vacuum in your life. It does not have to have lordship over you. But you have to be devoted to him. See, what happens is, and I've seen this in the walk of people. And this has to do with the emotion and devotion. This, the rootedness you have to be rooted deep. See, because the addiction will want to come and try to get its place back. I've seen it in Teen Challenge, young people who have come out of Teen Challenge. And they came out in victory, but then they cooled it off with their devotion. And what ends up happening is that the addiction says, I want to come back and I want you to be devoted to me. See, devotion is a daily thing, people. It's not a church thing. 
is not a church thing. It's a daily thing in your relationship with the Lord. Because if you're devoted to him minute by minute by minute, there is no room for an addiction. There is no room for an addiction. Whatever thing that might take its place, if you are devoted to him, there's no room for it. I had a, a, a lady that cleaned my house in India. Yes, I did. And it was wonderful, by the way. And I had a cook, and it was wonderful. I su- and a driver. I suffered in India. And uh, I know, listen, I listen to the missionaries, and I go, I know what it's like, believe me. But her name was Sunita. She didn't speak English. She only spoke Hindi, so I used my Hindi on her, and it was wonderful. And, uh, but she was a brand-new believer. Actually, her first job was with me. And her and her husband came to know Christ uh, quite recently before she coming to work for me. She actually made more money than her husband did. But prior to them coming to Christ, this was the story. She told me her testimony. They have five children, four girls, and one boy. Lived in a small small room, probably not any bigger than this corner over here, with multiple families. But her husband, who is a severe alcoholic would lock her up every day in her house by the way that had no windows year after year. But when Jesus came in, see, there's power. Jesus came in and he freed her husband from alcoholism. Many times he would come and help her. When we had like dinners or whatever, he would come and help her. Freed her her husband from alcoholism, transformed their lives, never going back again, but it had to do with their devotion, going deep in the Lord. I'm telling you, the power of the gospel is greater than any addiction. Do you hear me? Any greater than any drug. I don't care what how people say it calls to them and people will never get over. I'm telling you, with, with Jesus, you can become a new creation. All things passed away. Behold, all things are new. But I'm telling you as well, according to what Jesus said in this parable, he also said your roots got to go deep. Your roots got to go deep. It can't just be an emotional thing. Thank you for the freedom. I'm going to go on with my life because if your roots don't go deep, it's not going to last. Devotion and quitting. Devotion and quitting. See, when you are not rooted, you want to quit. You want to quit. That's why you, you need to be rooted. See, when you're not rooted... You will base everything on emotions. I don't feel God is doing anything. I don't feel God is with me. But when you're rooted, it has nothing to do with how you feel. You see, negative emotions can choke out the seed if you're not rooted. But if you're rooted, it's difficult to quit. Because you've been embedded. You're devoted Your devotion pulls you forward. Even in the midst of the storm, you are rooted. Jesus, when he started having the hard teachings, he had the big crowds. And a lot of times we emphasize how big Jesus' crowds were. But when Jesus started giving the hard teachings, people started leaving him. And in John chapter 6, it's not up here on the screen, but John chapter 6, verse 68 
Jesus has this response to his disciples. He says to them, the people are leaving. Are you going to leave me also? And Peter responds to Jesus. He says, where are we going to go? Only you have the words of life. See, Peter is devoted. Peter is rooted. He says, you know what? I'm invested in this. I'm invested in this. And the truth is this. You, your families, your lives, you got to get invested. you got to get invested in this. It can't be shallow alley, people. you got to get invested because the enemy wants you to have rootlessness. You don't quit when you're rooted. Hebrews 10, 23 says this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who is promised is faithful. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. What is this saying? I believe God's word over my circumstances because I'm committed to him. And sometimes my circumstances say very different than what the word of God says. And I have to choose. Do I believe my circumstances or do I believe what God God's word says, I say all the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. And to that I will say regarding my circumstances, amen. Amen. Even if my circumstances look different, I say amen. I'll tell you how many times over my life have I had to say amen to the word of God when all the circumstances said, say differently. It's not going to happen for you. It's not going to happen for you, Lynn. I'm not going to do, it's not going to happen. The Lord's not going to show up. And I had to keep saying, amen. Your promise is said. Your word says. See, Abraham is an example of that. Romans 4.20. Paul writes about Abraham. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Now the truth is this, you must be rooted so that in spite of the storms that come your way, the things that are contrary to what the word of God says, when you're rooted, those storms don't matter. You're not going to give up because it's not based on your emotions. It's based on your devotion. Let me just hear me. It's not based on your emotions because emotions come and they go. How about when you don't feel anything? If you've been in a walk with the Lord long enough, there's times, there's seasons when you just don't feel anything. I had a year where the Lord brought me into a time and he says, I'm going to give you a year and you're not going to feel anything. You're just going to obey me, but you're not going to feel me. Because he said, I'm going to teach you something about my voice. I'm going to teach you to hear without feeling. Some of you need to hear this in this place because you get so engrafted into feelings and that's how you hear God's voice. What if you don't have the feelings? You won't hear? No. You can hear without feelings. And so the Lord taught me through this year that the enemy could attack my feelings through my circumstances, but that would not alter my obedience. 
See, the enemy likes to attack us and our feelings through our circumstances. We call these times when we don't feel God like a drought. And a drought, you know, California's just out of their drought. Praise the Lord, right? We're all happy for that. That's a great thing. But there's benefits to droughts. For those that produce wine, a drought can actually help to provide superior grapes. For gardeners, a season of drought can mean the absence of weeds and fungal diseases. For the wetlands, a drought benefits some wildlife and nutrients are released when the wetlands has dried up, having the same effect on vegetation as fertilizing a lawn. Plant seeds that have been dormant in the soil have a chance to germinate and grow. There are purposes for droughts. There is a strengthening that can come when you have a drought where you don't feel something. When your emotions, when you don't have an emotional response to the presence of the Lord or the Holy Spirit or even your relationship with the Lord. This is the thing. Just because you have no emotions does not mean God's not moving. Just because there's no emotions, it doesn't mean you're not growing spiritually. Many times people want to conjure up the emotion, and that can keep us very shallow. When the Lord is saying, I'm going to cause you to go deeper. So that when there's no emotion, you can hear me. When there's no noise, because you've gone so deep in me, you're not distracted. See, the Lord allows us to go through those times, especially as we're growing, as we're becoming more rooted in him. And maybe some of you can feel an emotional drought right now. But just because you're having an emotional drought does not mean you're in a spiritual drought. Praise the Lord. Did you hear me? Just because you may have an emotional drought does not mean you're having a spiritual drought. Isaiah 58, 11 says this. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your soul in a scorched and dry place and give strength to your bones. And you will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. See, even in seasons where I do not feel him, he can satisfy me with his promises. See, your emotions are good. God wants you to have emotions. But we don't base our spiritual walk on emotions. How about when you have a negative emotions? Pastor David referred to this in his uh, exhortation. Can you be devoted when you have negative emotions? The book of Psalms is, a, is an excellent book because the Psalms shows us that we can have negative emotions that can feel very contrary to what we think faith should look like. But we can have them. God does not reject us when we have negative emotions. But know this, that your devotion can, does not need to be altered based upon negative emotions. The psalmist writes many things. But here's some takeaways that I want you to know about having negative emotions. First of all, you are not alone in your emotions when they're negative. Psalm 6, 6, I am weary with moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. You are not alone when you have negative emotions. Second thing, God wants us to come to him with our emotions. I never want you to feel that negative emotions should be um, condemned. 
God has given us emotions to process things in our lives. But we can come to him with our emotions. Psalms 38, 9. Oh, Lord, all my longing is before you. My sign is not hidden from you. Third, our emotions need to be confronted with the truth. This is what I really want to pinpoint. We can have negative emotions. Those emotions have been given to us to process things in our lives. However... Those emotions should not be our leaders. Emotions should be followers. And when we confront emotions with the truth of the word, we say get in submission to what the Holy Spirit says. Psalms 42, 11, Paul, uh, King David writes, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. See, he had negative emotions. But he said to them, he spoke to his emotions. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Our thoughts and emotions are very connected. And it's very important in the times where we have negative emotions that we say, Lord, may I take this thought captive and bring it under submission to you. You see, the Lord is not afraid of your negative emotions. But let's just say this. Do not allow negative emotions to destroy or reduce your devotion to him. Remember, the Lord is your comfort and he's your peace. He has set you, Song of Solomon 2.4 says this, he has set you at the banquet hall and his banner over you is love. The enemy would want you to leave the banquet hall because you're having negative experiences, negative emotions, the enemy wants to get you out of the banquet hall of God's love. That's his goal, to try to entice you with these emotional things to get you to leave the banner of his love. But I want to encourage you, don't let those negative things entice you to leave. I know there's pain in life. I know there's tragedy in life. I know there's disappointment in life. I know there's things that we don't understand that happen in life. And, and, and it's tough. But in spite of all of that, our greatest hope is found in our devotion to the Lord. Because the destination is not to leave us in a painful place. Jesus did not come and die to leave us in a painful place in our life. He came and he died. His heart was broken so that he could say, your sorrow may last for a night, but joy is going to come in the morning to you. He died of a broken heart. He died of a broken heart so that he could say, I have come to heal your broken heart. But in the midst of that, do not allow, in the midst of your pain or your sorrow or your tribulation, do not allow the enemy to deceive you, to take you away from your devotion to the Lord. I want the worship team to come up here. I have much more to say, but I have less time, so I'm not going to say anymore. I'm just going to leave it. 
There's more seed there in the parable, but this is where the Lord wants me to stop, and I'm going to do that. I want you to think about your life. I said many things, probably said them quite fast, but I want you to think about the devotion in your life to the Lord. Are you giving God the time? Are you not, are you talking and not walking? Can you go deeper? Is the Lord, maybe you're in a drought. Maybe it's a time that you're saying, I know what that feels like. I feel like I feel nothing. Maybe you're in a season where you feel a lot of negative emotions. Maybe you're going through something that's very painful in your life. And it's trying to distract you or pull you away from believing the promises of God. Today is not about his faithfulness and devotion to us. Because he is persistent towards us. His devotion was exemplified through his actions. The cross, giving his life, clothing himself in flesh, becoming a man, being restricted to a body, depending on his father, doing everything by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he did it all. He did it all because he loved us so but today the message is, are we devoted to him? Are we devoted to him? He laid out the banquet feast, but are we seated at the table? Do we keep leaving the table? Do we keep leaving the room and coming back? And the Lord says, won't you just stay with me? Are we allowing things to fill vacuums in our life? Things that the world says it's okay. Things that the world even gives us an excuse. Well, it's in your, it's in your line. It's in your, it's in your bloodline, these kinds of things. Where the Lord says you do not have to have this stuff fill a void. I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. I have given you my Holy Spirit. I, I have said greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I have given you the same spirit that raised me from the dead and dwells in you. Nothing has to have dominion over you, but the power for you to overcome comes when you are seated with me. That devotion no more wavering. No more back and forth. No more houses built on the sand. It's got to be built on the rock. Because according to build it on the rock, it says not only listens or hears the word, but does what the word says. Are you procrastinating anything? The Lord says, I've told you. I've told you. You need to take care of this. I've given you the power to do it. My grace is sufficient for you in this situation. But you procrastinate over and again. And you're not obeying me. Yes, it's a tough word. But it's the key 
that's going to unlock power in your life. Your devotion to Him. This is a song that's a prayer. And it's a different kind of song because it has to do with your devotion to Him. Jesus, I believe in you. You showed me your life and your devotion. Now I respond. When I was praying for you, I saw a vision, and it was Jesus' hand being stretched out through a bunch of junk, almost like a lot of garbage, and his hand is stretched out to you like, come on, come be devoted to me. Come. This is life abundantly. Freedom. Freedom. Power, health, well-being, peace, shalom. Jesus, I, I believe, I believe. Can you say that with me? You're the reason, you're my reason. You're the reason I live now. You came, and I was the reason why you live now. You're the reason why I live. Let's bow our heads and pray. For those of you that would like to have special prayer, we have prayer teams down here. Maybe you feel like you need to have some time with the Lord, just a personal time with the Lord. Take a time. Don't rush off. The food is there. Lunch is there. Nothing's more important than if the Lord has your attention and he wants to speak with you, that you spend that time, that time with him in this moment. Just spend that time with him. If, you, if the Lord has spoken to you, you just need to spend that time with him. Sort some things out. Lord, we thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, who is gentle, who draws us to you. Holy Spirit always draws us to Jesus. Lord, I pray over the people that have heard this word, Lord. This is your word. You chose this vessel to speak your word and you chose these people to hear it. And Lord, just as your parable says, may we not just be hearers of your word, but may we be doers of your word so that the seed would be embedded so that when the storms blow, we are found on the rock. And just like the word that came, so we can surf the storm, have authority over the storms. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word in your precious name. Amen. God bless you as you go. Have a great week. If you'd like special prayer, go ahead and come down or take time with the Lord in your pew.